Welcome to the All In for Citrus podcast, the latest on citrus research from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of the All In for Citrus podcast. I am your host, Taylor Hillman. A really interesting episode today as we talk about a bunch of research that's being funded by grants. A little later on in the show, we will hear about uh, some research that is looking into fighting HLB from the inside out, looking at how the phloem is blocked and trying to combat that. That's why trees decline with the disease. Also some research that is looking at controlling the Asian citrus psyllid with some biologicals and trying to change the behavior of the insect, which is the vector for the disease. But as always, we start with Dr. Michael Rogers, the Citrus Research and Education Center Director. Uh, Dr. Rogers, how's November going? We had a little bit of an interruption with a tropical storm, but how's everything else? Uh, everything's going great, Taylor. I think we we dodged a bullet, and we, we've had a, a really good year in the peninsula of Florida, if you will. I know other parts of the southeast have had a bad year with storms, but uh, we've, we've fared very well, and um, we're glad that things are hopefully calming down now and because we move into the fall and winter months. And the last thing we need in 2020 is a bad storm to shut things down on top of everything else. But uh, today we're talking about uh, some of the interesting research that's coming up funded by grants. The other two topics we're going to talk about today are the leads on the projects. You guys cooperate with a lot of other ones and are working on a lot of other grant funded research projects, one of which uh, has headlines lately with the Australian finger limes. Um, Talk about the collaboration you guys have going with the new varieties. Yes. So, um, and, and most growers in Florida are very well aware of the, the citrus breeding program that we have uh, here in Florida um, with researchers from UF as well as USDA. And, and we've had a long history of, of breeding success and lots to come here in Florida, but, but we're not the only game in town. And, and in California, there's a breeding program, a citrus breeding program as well. And they were the recipients, the lead investigators on a uh, USDA NEFA-funded project um, to look at some new varieties and the potential for tolerance or resistance to the HLB pathogen. And so we've had uh, several of our researchers here, uh, even though the UC Riverside uh, researchers are leading that program, that particular grant, uh, we have, let's see, uh, we've got two two faculty here at UF that are also playing a, a key role on the ground here in Florida as part of that project. And that's uh, Dr. Uh, Uda Albrecht, who's at the Southwest Florida Research and Education Center in Immokalee, and Zhang-Fei Guan, who's uh, our associate professor at the Gulf Coast Research and Education Center in, in Balm. And the project, it's really interesting because, you know, we've got our, our cohort of breeding materials here in Florida, but so do the Californians. And as you mentioned earlier, uh, there's been a lot of interest in finger limes and the potential HLB resistance that exists in finger limes. And so one of the, the parts of this project they're looking at that will be a, our faculty will be assisting with is they're actually crossing finger limes with some other conventional citrus varieties, trying to develop new varieties that are going to be HLB tolerant or resistant. And, you know, where our folks come in is, you know, really going out and putting those in the field uh, and seeing, do they really work? Are they really uh, tolerant or resistant to HLB? 
And so uh, that's a lot of that work will be happening not only in California, but obviously there'll be greenhouse trials in Florida and of course in the field. Uh, you know, we're kind of ground zero for HLB and it's a great place to test any new variety that you want to see if it's going to hold up against HLB. So they'll be involved in doing that, cooperating with growers here in the state to trial those new varieties. Yeah, definitely have to include Florida when we're looking at testing some of those new varieties for sure. Uh, the other ones that we were talking about earlier uh, that you guys are collaborating on, uh, root health, therapeutics, a couple different uh, topics here. Uh, headline some of those for me. Yeah, so um, we do. There is another project. This one actually also is coming out of uh, UC Riverside uh, with a faculty member there. Uh, who has a project that we have three of our faculty, um, all three of these faculty are located at the uh, Southwest Florida Research and Education Center in Immokalee, um, Dr. Uta Albrecht, Ramdas Kanissari, and Sarah Strauss. And um, they're going to actually, uh, it's a $10 million grant going to UC Riverside, and, and, and these three faculty down in Immokalee are going to get about $2.5 over the course of a five-year period. And what they're going to be doing is uh, looking at ways to enhance the root health of, of HLB disease trees. And I know a lot of our growers have heard from all three of these researchers over time on, on their work um, with things like soil amendments, cover crops, herbicides. Well, all of that's going to be put into practice in combination with, you know, plant genetics and look at a, a kind of a systems approach at looking at how can we uh, improve the root health and overall health of citrus trees uh, to improve that tolerance to HLB. And so that's going to be a, a, another one of these grants that kind of it pulls all these pieces together into one package and looks at, at ways that growers in the future can continue to improve and enhance their production practices in the field. We also had uh, two other projects that were funded by NEFA that have to do with therapeutics. And we're particularly talking about antimicrobial compounds or bactericides, those types of products that growers could apply directly to the plants to, to control the bacterium. There were those two projects were not awarded directly to UF, but we had people working um, in conjunction with those, those PIs uh, on those projects. And, and the first of these was actually a USDA grant. Um, uh, everybody knows Dr. Bob Shatters in Fort Pierce who, who led that grant. And so they're going to be evaluating uh, both new synthetic and natural microbial products against the HLB bacterium. Uh, we've got two of our faculty, uh, Dr. Lorenzo Rossi at the Indian River Research and Education Center. Um, he, Lorenzo is going to be working on um, evaluating some of those and looking at ways to deliver those more efficiently to the plants. And then also another faculty member, uh, Dr. Javad Qureshi, who is located at the um, Southwest Florida Research Center in Namakali, uh, is going to be serving in an extension role in that grant as well, helping deliver the results of that information, uh, that research out to growers as it becomes available. And, and the last project I think everybody's already heard about, uh, it was a, a large $10 million funding uh, funded project that went to the CRDF, and it, it's referred to as the, in some circles as the Bear Project. And so again, that, that's that's a really big project looking at new screening, new antimicrobial compounds against um, HLB, the HLB causing pathogen. We do have one of our faculty, um, Oscar Batuman, um, at, at, who's also located at Immokalee, who's going to be playing a role in that project as well, helping to screen uh, some of the compounds they identify. Uh, in some of his assays to see, you know, do do the compounds they're looking at, do they, they play a role in helping slow down or or maybe even kill or uh, the HLB causing bacterium in the plant? That just shows the uh, amount of work that's being done by UF IFAS. I think that's exciting to hear some of that stuff going on. Um, we heard from uh, Michelle Daniluk uh, last 
episode about some of the work she's doing in COVID-related research, which I think is very timely and uh, needed to get some of that information out to the general public. She also has some uh, training going on in some other research. Talk about that. Yeah, so um, uh, Dr. Dana Luck is collaborating with another university here within Florida, uh, Florida A&M University, on a, a USDA food safety outreach program grant. And so th- these aren't the NEFA, the, the NEFA HLB grants we've been talking about so far. This is a little bit different. But the purpose of these grants um, is to uh, train small farmers, um, underserved farm demographics, um, on food safety training. Um, I think most people are familiar with all the changes that we've got been inundated with, with the uh, the Food Safety Modernization Act. You know, it, it's it's a, another burden on farmers if you want to sell your produce or your, or your crops. You know, a lot of training, a lot of new regulations. Um, believe it or not, in Florida, and I think this 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 statistic actually kind of shocked me a little bit. But you know, over the past um, decade or so, small farms in Florida have actually been on the rise, and as much as twenty percent really uh, increase during that time. And and I always think of agriculture. I always think of you know, well, small farmers are going away. It's it's you know, it's larger companies. But but you know, Florida's number five in the nation in terms of a small farmer startups. But a lot of these small farmers, they don't have, you know, deep pockets. They can't just start off and start farming. They have to support themselves other ways. You know, they've got to they may work another job. They have a primary job, but they want to get into farming. And so, you know, they they, they may not have these huge operations and they can't always attend all the trainings they need to because um, they do have to support their families as they're starting their farms up or or maybe there's other things that, that, that weigh on their time. But this whole grant program is to meet the needs of those smaller farmers, you know, that are kind of our future here. And um, and I think right now it's gotten with with FISMA, the, the training that's required. Um, there's a lot of demands on these growers. And if you just combine that with the COVID pandemic and the fact that we're not having in-person meetings, it's more difficult to get around and get the trainings and certifications you need. Well, that's what this this grant's going to address for our smaller farmers and startups, startup farmers here in Florida. And it's going to consist of a number of workshops and online trainings to help those small, those new farmers get into the business, get the training they need and be able to um, contribute to agriculture in the state of Florida. So um, it's another example of, of some of our faculty here within IFAS uh, collaborating with other uh, universities, this, in this case, Florida A&M, uh, to meet the needs of, of, of Florida agriculture and, and keep it strong throughout the state. That's exciting. I, I know FISMA is on the minds of a lot of producers, and you're right, new beginning uh, operations don't often have the experience or the connections. So again, another example of, of providing the needs that the industry needs. Citrus Research and Education Center Director Michael Rogers, thanks again for your time. All right. Thank you, Taylor. We're now going to shift over to Assistant Professor of Plant Pathology, Amit Levy. Uh, Amit, thanks for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me. We're talking today, uh, exciting news. You guys received a NEFA grant um, to look at HLB disease. And what you guys are doing here is you're looking at that bacteria, right? The C-LAS and how that interacts with the tree. We, we know very little about that, don't we? Yes, that's where we think that we can help with this grant. Um, we all know that the CELAS, the bacteria that cause HLB, is phloem limited. And we know that the phloem is very important. Also, um, there is good evidence that even when you hurt the phloem, you get symptoms that are very similar to HLB. But 
Uh, we don't know a lot about what's going on there, and there are two big reasons for that. Uh, the first one is that the phloem is a very small, narrow tissue, and it's buried deep inside the tree, and it's hard to reach it. And the second one is that the bacteria is found in a very uh, strange, uh, sporadic way. There's, uh, it's not equally distributed, and also there's the amounts that are found when they are found are very, very little. And so this was really a big uh, problem in studying this system. And what we recently showed in a paper is that in the seed coats, in the fruit, uh, there is accumulation of a lot of bacteria. There is a lot of bacteria there, and we think it's because the fruit is a growing tissue, so the phloem just goes inside the fruit to bring energy to the fruit. And the other part is that we were able to uh, develop this procedure to uh, isolate the vasculature. So we think we have this kind of win-win that we have a system, a tissue that's both having a lot of bacteria and that we can isolate the vasculature so can move forward avoiding these limitations. Yeah, I, I think there there probably isn't a great uh, um, comparison here, but I did have someone tell me once it's it's kind of like cholesterol in veins. Um, you can have blockages and you're right, different amounts in different areas. And that's that's the issue here is that the CLAS creates blockages in the phloem, and that is what affects the tree, right? Yeah, I think it's actually a very good analogy. It's the veins of the tree, and they are getting blocked, and energy doesn't go where it needs to go, and the sea and the and the tree declines. So, yeah, one thing that uh, was shown is that the disease, uh, either by silas itself or by uh, inducing a plant defense response, that uh, part of the defense response is to block the phloem probably in order to block the movement of the bacteria. But what we see is that the um, veins are blocked. And we think that if we can find a way to open those uh, veins, yeah, just like in our bodies, just like you said, uh, sometimes it's important to just treat the symptoms, even if the pathogen is there. But if we're just able to open the veins and let the tree move the sugars and the nutrients and get stronger, uh, that will help the tree survive and maybe even help the tree deal with silas. You know, when we have energy, we can deal with pathogens much better. Yeah, I mean, so by reopening that phloem, um, again, you're, you're, you're creating a, that uh, highway for the sugar, right, to go back up to the tree. It should increase fruit yields. Um, you know, when you block that off, that's that's the big issue. But I think this is very interesting because you're right, and you you mentioned it there at the end, is you guys are looking at the response and seeing if you can help alleviate the problem in the response. And it may be that the phloem is closing off to limit the bacteria. We, we, we're not sure why that's happening, right? Uh, we're not sure why that's happening, but that's... Uh, um that's a very typical response to pathogens, that the uh, host is trying to block their spread by depositing material at the uh, cell wall and blocking also the connections between the cells. So uh, that's the hypothesis. Yeah. 
very exciting research, I think. Um, so, okay, you guys have the grant. Um, I, I would imagine that you guys probably need to test this during an active season, so not underway just yet? Yeah, we are. Our focus is on the fruit because we're using the seed coats, but also other uh, tissues in the fruit because this is a very intensively growing tissue and this is where the phloem goes to and we see that there's just much more uh, bacteria accumulating there. So this is our system and we are going to start collecting the fruits from either the field or fruits that are grown under the protective shield from Arnold Schumann systems. And we are going to study uh, the interaction and the biology of the phloem and the bacteria. That's exciting. Again, exciting research um, as we look forward to this. So is this something that uh, we could possibly see maybe some some gene editing um, differences or something down the road where we can uh, maybe be able to create something that ha- that reacts to the bacteria better? Yeah, that's very much. I mean, this grant is two years, so we don't know how far we will reach. But for the longer run, that's definitely our goal. There is uh, so uh, much promise in gene editing and in CRISPR. But one of the big limitations is that there's just not enough targets. We don't understand enough of the disease process and the interaction of the bacteria and the plant. And our project uh, is to really gain more knowledge and more knowledge is uh, going to give us a better toolkit, more targets that in the future we are going to be able to use for gene editing. But part of this project is also for a longer term, we are testing also uh, chemicals, for example, that inhibit the deposition of the blocks of the callus. So we have more short-term goals, but also the gene editing is one of the more long-term goals for this. I critical research, in my opinion. Again, uh, Dr. Amit Levy from uh, UF IFAS, Assistant Professor of Plant Pathology. Dr. Levy, I really appreciate the time. Thank you very much. We are now joined by eminent scholar and professor of entomology and nematology, Bryony Bonning um, from UF IFAS. We're talking about another grant here. Um, you guys also received one from USDA NIFA. Um, and this is exciting. You guys are looking at managing the Asian citrus psyllid with the environment in mind is what you guys had this on the, on the title. You guys are going to be looking at uh, Bacillus thuringiensis uh, using that in this research and then also a couple other things. Talk about what this grant is going to allow you guys to do. Yes, our goal here is to target the Asian citrus psyllid, as you say, which is the vector for the pathogenic agent of uh, citrus greening. And we have tools already that we can potentially use to kill the psyllid, to reduce the populations and uh, reduce the transmission of the disease. Um, And these include these pesticidal proteins that are produced by the Bacillus thuringiensis uh, bacterium. And we've already shown that these pesticidal proteins can be quite effective if you deliver them from a citrus plant in suppressing psyllid populations. Uh, the other angle is 
that we have to uh, try to suppress psyllids is the use of gene silencing RNAs. And what these do, um, the psyllid has some genes that are absolutely essential. They have to function correctly for the psyllid to survive. And if we silence those genes, then the psyllid will actually die. And so the goal of this project is to combine these two methods because we have some data that show that if you use the individual components, um, they do quite well. But if you combine them, you can get really over 90% mortality of the psyllids. It's really quite effective. Um, our downstream goal at the end of this project, uh, we hope to know which are the best BT pesticidal proteins and the best silencing RNAs uh, to find out which two work the best in combination and then some other parameters that we would need to then develop the final product for a citrus grower to use. 90%, that's a big number. That's uh, that's exciting to hear. Um, let's go back to BT just for a second for those who don't realize how that works. And you mentioned this, of course, but the bacteria produces a protein that will kill uh, some insects. And that's what you guys are focusing on is, is, is getting that protein to the psyllids. That's correct. So these bacteria, they actually are soil-dwelling bacteria, but they have evolved to uh, kill certain species of insect. And then the bacteria can actually proliferate in the dead insect, if you will. Um, and spread by that way. Um, so the bacteria, they have different combinations of these pesticidal proteins that are active against different things. And so some work really well against mosquito larvae, some work really well against caterpillars, and some work well against the sap-sucking insects, including the Asian citrus psyllid. Um, so we've identified uh, some of these pesticidal proteins that are active against the psyllid, and we're pursuing um, this for the production of plants. So one thing I didn't mention was we're looking at not only um, citrus for crop production, I mean, for fruit production, but also using a trap plant such as Indian curry. And the idea here is that you would plant the Indian curry around the grove. Indian curry is highly attractive to the psyllids because it uh, continuously produces new green shoots that they're very attracted to. Um, and so if we had those trap plants uh, producing a pesticidal protein, the idea is the psyllid would fly in, get distracted by the trap plant, um, feed, and then be killed by the protein, the pesticidal protein before it even reaches the orchard. So that's the concept behind the trap plant. That's exciting. So yeah, so so using a trap crop to deliver that pesticidal protein, that's, that's very interesting. So uh, it's almost like uh, what some people do with a trap crop and then they treat the trap crop, but this way uh, it, it would be doing it all on its own. Yes, and you know, we've actually shown we get very nice results with Indian curry um, when we use, when we deliver a BT pesticidal protein from that plant. Um, the goal here is to then see, can we make it even better by adding the silencing RNA, gene silencing RNA. And we'll go back to that too here, uh, the gene silencing. Um, you know, obviously you guys have to outline some details and what you guys want to do and look at. But but basically what you guys can do is you can change how the ACP acts, how it, uh, you know, characteristics of it, uh, what it does to benefit what you guys are doing and the other things. So you could make, you could make it um, possibly eat more, 
eat less, die. I mean, there's a bunch of different things that you can do when you're looking at RNA silencing. Yes. The, the two strategies that we would look at are silencing RNAs that are very effective at killing the psyllids on their own. Uh, that's the first strategy. The second strategy is to look at silencing RNAs that are going to have a physiological effect, which will actually make the pesticidal protein work even better. Um, and for example, uh, we have a candidate that increases uh, the volume of phloem or, or sap that's uh, fed, uh, that's ingested by the psyllids. And so therefore, with that combination, you would expect uh, the psyllids to actually ingest more of the pesticidal protein, which would mean that it would um, work even faster. Now, again, this is controlling the psyllid. That's the vector of uh, HLB, Huanglongbing disease, citrus greening. But, I mean, this is going to be something that growers can use uh, in an IPM system to manage this disease. That's correct. Um, so the Asian citrus psyllid is such an efficient vector of this plant pathogen that uh, this technology would have to be used in combination with other strategies being used, for example, to target the plant pathogen itself um, in addition to suppressing the vector. Uh, it's not going to be sufficient on its own to control uh, transmission of the disease or manage it. But I think re reducing the vector is, is a key part of a, of a good plan, probably. Yes, it's definitely an important part. Um, the other important aspect to this is that, that all we have currently for controlling the vector are the classical chemical insecticides, which are fairly indiscriminate. When they are sprayed, they will also kill the natural enemies and um, beneficial organisms, um, insects. So this will be more environmentally friendly because it will only be the psyllids that are feeding on the plant that will be exposed um, to these components that we're using. Well, and, and logically, this would also reduce some of the resistance issues that we're seeing with the pest as well. Absolutely. Although resistance is something else that we need to consider, uh, as a rule of thumb, if you use the same agent repeatedly against an insect population, you will eventually get resistance. And that applies not only to chemical insecticides, but also to these bacterial pesticidal proteins uh, if you don't um, have a diversity of control strategies, you can quickly end up with a resistant population. And so that's actually the beauty of the pesticidal proteins because there are many of them and they have different, slightly different modes of action. And so you can have a situation where you might have resistance to one, but not to another. Um, and then we also know that if you use multiple um, pesticide proteins at the same time, you can delay or reduce the likelihood of uh, resistance from occurring. There's lots of future research <laughs> to be done on this. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like sounds like you're going to have a full plate coming up. Well, that's good. I know that you guys probably um, haven't got a chance to start anything yet with the whole situation we're in right now. When do you guys plan on getting research underway or get things going? Have you guys already started? 
We have got some preliminary experiments going on, but uh, really we'll be starting in earnest in February of next year. Um, that's the, the current situation. Yeah, it seems like uh, a lot of these grants uh, starting to do some stuff preliminary, but uh, haven't officially started for a while. And and I think that's uh, understandable with what's going on right now. Uh, again, eminent scholar and uh, professor of entomology and nematology, Brian Ebonning, uh, thank you for your time. Thank you. Pleasure. And that's going to wrap things up for the November episode of the All In for Citrus podcast. Again, you can find out more information about the grant-funded research projects we talked about in today's show on the Citrus Research and Education Center's website that can be found at crec.ifis.ufl.edu. Thanks for listening to this month's All In for Citrus podcast from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network.